0: Yes. 5, four, three,
1: two, one. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into the commonalities of successful people and the ups and downs of risk-taking. Connect with Carrie through her candid, funny, informative, and always encouraging weekly blog. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business.
0: My guests today are Mr. and Mrs. James Neal Anderson, Jr., a.k.a. Jamie and Elizabeth, a power couple with deep roots in Arkansas. There are not many businesses that last past the second generation and certainly not the third, but Anderson Farms, a fish farm, and Farmers Bank and Trust in Magnolia are the exception. Founded in 1949 by his great-grandfather, Jamie Anderson becomes the fourth generation to run their fish farm made of 3,300 acres of water with 11,000 square foot fish hatchery, thus making them the largest producer of bait fish in the world. Did you hear that? The world. Elizabeth Burns Anderson is the fifth generation to run her family business, Farmers Bank and Trust, founded over 100 years ago by her great-great-grandfather. And did I mention in 2019 this power couple, parents and children, were all voted Farm Family of the Year. This speaks to their responsible dedication to their agriculture and their business practices, and to the devotion and time spent in their community and with their children. It is my pleasure to welcome to the table the unique couple whose talents and careers complement each other. Fish farmer Jamie Anderson and his wife, the senior vice president of Farmers Bank and Trust and executive director of the Farmers Bank Foundation, Elizabeth Burns Anderson. <laughs> wow, guy. What do y'all talk about at dinner?
2: <laughs>
0: Fish homework.
2: homework. homework. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's probably very true. Well, you two like go together like. Two peas in a pod. Y'all are like made in heaven. Jamie, you're a fourth-generation fish farmer. You're on the job in the field, I guess. He's shaking his head. It's radio. Jamie, you can't shake your head. Yes. yes. Right. And Elizabeth is a fifth-generation banker and the VP of Farmers Bank and Trust. This is like a business relationship made in
2: heaven. Tell me how the two of you met. Well, we actually, um, our families go back generations. Our grandfather's campaign for Governor Faubus years ago together, and so in a roundabout way, our grandfathers knew each other on the campaign trail, but Jamie and I met at the University of Arkansas, Uh, we were both attending college there at the same time and had lots of unique friends, and just kind of came together years later, so years we, later yeah. not in college no, not in college not in college we met later on just through um his sister and our sorority sisters and we had lots of mutual friends and so you both graduated from the university of arkansas yes
0: and right. neither one of y'all got married to anybody that you met there no and no. then you both met each other again and got married yes right correct
1: mom's had a theme of the last few shows where she keeps saying you just go to college to find a uh, get your MRS degree or whatever
0: what's your MRS name? oh missus
1: yeah uh uh-huh. yes. go to college time. get married would
3: not like me in college yeah we, we would not have made a good did you couple. pledge something like I did. like uh, Kappa Sig or I something played, terrible and, oh and, uh, that's just about so, bad by the time we started dating I think I'd grown up enough you'd already
0: been to me. AA <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's yep. good. Yeah, you probably I, wouldn't have liked. Him. I think yeah. the people you meet in college, um, some people build relationships, you know, that they marry the people in college. But I needed some years to grow up and mature. And um, we were totally different people at twenty five than we were at thirty. And we both married when we were in our thirties and had children. So thirties—that's um, late, yeah. but not today. It's really not. not. In
0: my yeah. days, it was—it la- was—it was pretty late. But no, you're right. It's not. It's not. We
3: dated for three years. So, you know, we both were kind of set in our careers and set in where we wanted to live. And, and so, you know, I think that helped a lot.
0: You both majored in careers, in, in, in subjects that went with your family career. You went into ag, right? Ag J- business with mm-hmm. my degree. And yeah. you, you majored in that. And you majored finance. in finance. Yeah. So mm-hmm. did you know you were going to go in the family business?
2: No, actually, I wanted to be a school teacher. So, um, but I got a degree in finance and then I was going to get a master's degree in education, but then I was done with school and I wanted to live in Little Rock and work. And so it just, i worked at other banks before I came back to the family bank. So I've worked at several different banks around the state, but, um, I was always home with farmer's bank.
0: Did you, hello? How, when did you have that revelation? Like, okay, I might as well go back to the family bank.
2: After I had children and uh, oh, late, mm-hmm, I have worked on and off for the family bank most of my life. I mean, my very first job was shredding paper in a closet at the bank. Uh, and um, I've been a teller. I've worked, run a proof machine, which they don't even have anymore. It's um, so a proof machine. That's where they used to <laughs> put the image on the check when they etch the bottom of the check. Oh, you would mm-hmm. drop it. I mean, they don't even do that anymore. Now they just take a picture of the check mm-hmm. and uh, that's how they image it. But I've done everything at the bank through the years and worked at other banks um, in Little Rock and outside of Little Rock in northwest Arkansas. And, uh, but once I had kids and I knew it was time to be a part of the family bank again. So,
0: Jamie, did you, do you, do you go straight out of college? into
3: I, I did. I uh, started working on the farm when I was 12 because that's what my dad did, air quotes, um, so, but you know, for good reason, I learned it later in life. Exactly why I started early. Um, you don't learn it overnight, but, uh, but no, in later in high school, of course, my dad asked, Hey, what, what are you thinking? Cause he needed to make a plan and then freshman year college, same thing. And then about junior year, he's like, okay, I need to know for sure. Um, his dad was still in the business, but getting older, he was in his eighties and, and, uh, so there were just, there were some turning points with technology and all in in our industry. And, and we wanted, he wanted to make those leaps, but he just needed somebody to, to, uh, put in charge of it. And, and somebody that he knew was going to do it the way he would. And, and so he said, you know, my junior year, he said, are you coming back? I said, yes. He said, okay, well, our first order of business is we're going to start building a hatchery, figure out how to make that work. And then some other things. So, so as soon as I graduated, um, a little bit early from college, so in December I, I came back and immediately started building a building and a hatchery, and that was my first job.
0: Um, so the and, hatchery's new,
3: sort of. Um, And we built it in 99. I'd like to think that was new, but that was over 20 <laughs> seems, years ago. <laughs> really?
0: seems like just the other day. It,
3: it does. But but so, yes, I, I always knew I was coming back. I really didn't want to do anything else. That's all I'd ever done, and I loved it. And, and <laughs> once you're ingrained in it, it's, it's hard to let it go. Um, Does it stink? Oh, it smells like fish, absolutely. But uh, Does she
0: make you put your clothes outside in the garage before you come in? Yes. Sometimes. Uh, along <laughs> with the kids. The, the kids
3: come in dirty and nasty every day, too. But did the neighbors hate you out there? Well, uh, we actually just got new neighbors. Before that, we were all by ourselves out in the middle of the pasture, but my parents and my sister have recently built next to us. Well, they're used uh, so, to it. Oh, yeah. they're When they smell to it, it,
0: they smell the, that's the smell of money to them. <laughs>
3: So, yes, it's uh, uh, our neighbors, they do not hate us for it. They're used to it.
0: Fish, they probably all work for you.
3: Uh, well, my dad does. My sister is actually a lawyer and, uh, here in Little Rock, and uh, so she's not in the family. But any
0: even neighbors that are maybe downwind probably oh, all work
3: for you. Oh, yes, our closest
1: neighbors all work for
0: us. Mm-hmm. Fish or finance. That's kind of a good <laughs> slogan for them. We
1: need to make bumper stickers. Fish, yeah. or, fish and finance.
2: Fish and finance. Fish and finance. Yeah. Fish and finance. Well, well, it's like his... His smell of fish is the smell of money. My smell of money is the smell of money. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right.
0: This is a great place to take a break. we come back, we're going to dig into Elizabeth's family folklore, and we're going to dig into Jamie's family folklore. Elizabeth Burns Anderson, a fifth-generation banker, and Jamie Anderson from Anderson Farms, the largest bait fish farm in the world. We'll be right back.
1: You're listening to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, along with Carrie's experience and leadership knowledge. In 1995, she embraced the internet and rebranded her company as simply FlagandBanner.com. In 2004, she became an early blogger. Since then, she has founded the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom, began publishing her magazine, Brave, and in 2016 branched out into this very radio show, YouTube channel, and podcast. In 2020, Carrie McCoy Enterprises acquired OurCornerMarket.com, an online company specializing in American-made plaques, signage, and memorials for over 20 years, and more recently opened a satellite office in Miami, Florida. Telling American-made stories, Selling American-made flags. The TheFlagandBanner.com. Back to you, Carrie.
0: <laughs> You're listening to "Up in Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with the dynamic farm couple, Jamie and Elizabeth Anderson. Jamie, a fourth-generation owner of Anderson's Farm, a fish farm in Lone Oak, Arkansas, and his wife, Elizabeth, a fifth-generation banker and VP of Farmers Bank and Trust. Okay, Elizabeth Burns, Anderson, fifth-generation banker, native Magnolia. Talk about growing up in the family bank.
2: Uh, Well, the family bank is 115 years old, and it was founded by both of my great-great-grandfathers. When I was young, my great-grandfather was president of the bank, and then my dad was CEO for 40-plus years, and he just retired. And my brother-in-law is now the CEO, who's married to my sister, and so, and he does a fabulous job taking on the family tradition. And you know, we're very proud of our bank um, celebrating 115 years of service to the communities that we serve. Um, we were founded to help the farmers um, in Columbia County and the entrepreneurs to start businesses, and we try to encompass that into our into our business today. Um, We founded the Farmers Bank Foundation this past year on our 115th anniversary celebration. And the purpose of the Farmers Bank Foundation is to enrich the communities where we serve. We have branches as far north as Paris, Arkansas, and they go all the way to Prosper, Texas, which is north of Dallas. So we have a little over 30 branches. Um, We are a $2.4 billion bank, so we're always in the top six to seven banks in the state Um, Arkansas banks that are in the state and we're very proud of that and by creating a foundation which which I spearheaded we are allowed to encompass our corporate giving and make a bigger impact in the communities we serve. Um, Farmers Bank is is based on community giving and we like to support not only our customers but our employees because when you have 115 years of service, successful service to your communities you have to owe that to your employees and so by enriching the communities by offering support to nonprofits and support to education, healthcare workers and things like that within our communities supporting the first responders we are allowed to engage in those communities and 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 create a legacy for our bank and enrich those communities where our customers and our employees live
0: banks are so important to a to a community mm-hmm. What do you think's the solution for uh, underdeveloped and poverty neighborhoods? Because banks are also in the business of making money. I mean, like everybody is, they can't survive if they don't. So I, lear- I learned in the last election, um, uh, who's the mayor in, in New York City? Bloomberg. Bloomberg, talking about how one of the reasons, uh, one of the ways we could build up neighborhoods, poverty neighborhoods and underdeveloped neighborhoods is by putting a bank there. But no bank wants to go into a neighborhood that doesn't have any money or that has high crime. They don't want to put their employees at risk. I mean,
2: how do you solve that? Do you talk about that at your bank? We do. All banks are required to do what they call a the Community Reinvestment Act, CRA lending, or CNR CRA giving back. And so we go into low-poverty schools where they have free and reduced lunches and talk about You know, opening the importance of having savings and the importance of how to manage your funds and things like that. So speaking to children at a young age and also just reaching out in those underdeveloped areas in each community by offering volunteer or teaching community classes on retirement or savings or things like that is a great way for us to get back to those areas. But
0: you don't get to know your bankers. I mean, one of the reasons I'm successful is I got to know my banker.
2: Right, exactly. I
0: mean, I don't even know, you know, Kirk Dixon, I still remember his name. He took a chance on me, gave me a signature loan, back when you could get signature loans, and, um, you know, started me on my career path. I'm not sure that I, as a banker, would go to a community that's suffering and a girl came and said, I wanted to open a hair salon or a bakery. Will you give me $20,000 on a signature loan? I'm not sure that happens today or could even happen today or should really. I don't know how to, I don't
2: know how to change that. Right. And, and it does happen. You just have to build those relationships and understand their planning and their, you know, their, they're giving. So, and we hope to build those relationships in all the communities that we serve. You know, Farmers Bank, um, it's been our name for 115 mm-hmm. years, and it was founded because when my great grandfathers got together. They wanted to help the farmers. Mm-hmm. And, and so in many meetings over the past 115 years, it's been discussed, should we change it? Should, should we make it more marketable? But you know what? No, because Mm-mm. that's what we're, we are. We were founded for farmers and um, we still support farmers today. Um, And we also support the core of every community. And every community was initially founded by farmers. So it's Mm -hmm. important to maintain who you are and where you come from. That's interesting. Every community was founded by farmers. That's
0: really true, our history.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Is that what the heart seems to be in all your advertising and your logo? Is that what that means? Yes. Our heart stands for, um, and you'll probably catch me because it is honor, excellence, adaptability, respect, and teamwork. Oh, so a lot of thought went get into it.
1: Good job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I followed um, along. <laughs>
2: yeah. So it is. And we, we display that heart with just not only our customers, but our employees. We do a lot of team building. We do a lot of fun activities within our branches, um, competitive activities. You know, we had a Super Bowl fun Friday a few weeks ago. Where Are y'all betting? No, 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 it's not been but it's, we are at um,
1: the Flag and Banner building, right,
2: <laughs> it is, it's just more of a competitive way to have a good time mm-hmm. and then right. the branches compete and, and post it for all the other branches to see and, um, and it's a fun place to work, I've worked at, like I said earlier, I worked at many other banks and I always find my way back home because it, it is a, it is one of the best places to work. What's the Blue Heart Fund? So the Blue Heart Fund is for our employees, and the Blue Heart Fund is a public fund It's that is run by the Farmers Bank Foundation, and that's a way for our employees to give to each other. So if we have an employee that is diagnosed with cancer or has a house fire, we can do fundraisers and support each other through the Blue Heart Fund. Right. Banking has changed so much. How do you see banking in the future? Well, I see a lot of banks going more digital and working at teaching technology. I myself I mean, I I work in a branch, but if I need to make a deposit, I just take a picture of it and submit it on the app. But I think to be successful, you're still going to have to build those relationships and you're still going to have to work really hard at making people know their banker and know that they're there to support that community.
0: You know, branch, branch banks are closing everywhere. Absolutely. I even got an email the other day that says our branch bank will be closed because we don't have enough employees right now. Right.
2: And a lot of... Larger banks are going to that. They want you to use their app. They don't want you to come in. They don't. They want you to call and wait on their call center, and they want you to send your questions by email. But we really want to still engage with our customers and create a bond and create relationships with them.
0: It's, it's important. It's really important. Absolutely. Uh,
2: um, this
0: is a great place to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. 2019 Farm Family of the Year, Jamie Anderson of Anderson's Fish Farm and his wife, Elizabeth Burns Anderson, a legacy banker at Farmers Bank and Trust in Magnolia. More fish and farm talk
3: after the break. Here's a word from flagandbanner.com. Have you got some kind of event coming up that could use some string pennant banners? This is a good time to talk to the people at flagandbanner.com about creative uses. Crowd control, marking swim lanes, decorating birthday parties, flying at car dealerships. There's thousands of other uses. These triangular-shaped, beautiful flags are made with plastic cloth or polyethylene. They'll last for seasons and seasons and seasons. Set the stage for anything with pennant banners waving
1: merrily in the breeze. Flagandbanner.com can help you and ask about the discount that's going on right now. Flagandbanner.com All UIYB past and present interviews are available at Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy's YouTube channel, Facebook page, The Arkansas Democrat Gazette's digital version, flagandbanner.com's website, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: You're listening to Up in Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with the Andersons, a farm family with deep roots in Arkansas. Jamie, a fourth-generation owner of Anderson's Farm, a fish farm in Lone Oak, Arkansas. And his wife, Elizabeth, a fifth-generation banker and VP of Farmers Bank and Trust, founded in Magnolia, Arkansas, and now the branch, bank, branch banks in Texas and Oklahoma. Let's talk about your family. All right. How did your grandfather come to own the land near Lone Oak, and how did he decide on fish bait as his product to farm?
3: Well, after he um, got out of the military, he was uh, trained bomber pilots at the Blyville Air Force Base during the war. And, um, he and his brothers, they were in Yazoo city, Mississippi, um, and they were running bait routes with wild caught bait, which was before we domestically raised bait. That's how it was all caught. So they're running routes all the way over to Lone Oak, Arkansas. They're hauling fish from Mississippi in, in trucks all the way as far as Lone Oak, Arkansas. And so he got to know the gentleman that owned the property across the road from our current headquarters. Well, that gentleman was catching wild bait out of Biomita, which is a drainage canal that goes through our property. And they were just really tough and hardy. And and so my granddad didn't quite understand, you know, what it was making these fish better than the ones he was bringing from Mississippi. So um, he didn't know if his soil, water, really what it was. But anyway, he went across the road and there was an 80-acre rice farm there um, and a lady and a gentleman that owned it and uh, 800 acres behind it that was all timber. And he just offered him money and bought it. Uh, so he started building fish ponds and catching fish wild and stocking those in those ponds and then breeding those and so on down the line. And then just it um, it kind of took off and as it grew and grew, he bought more land, built more ponds, uh, set up distributions, you know, all over the country. Um, and you know, at that time there and even now, you still kind of have to invent the equipment you use. And the the aquaculture industry across the country is it's very diverse uh, we're talking everything from salmon and trout and lobster all the way to oysters and minnows and goldfish and so the equipment you use you have to physically build it so so you know back in the late 40s early 50s he's designing trucks and boxes and air systems and uh, containment systems for sheds um, how to you know deliver oxygen deficient sheds so it was a whole lot more to it uh, than just putting fish in a pond or putting fish in a truck and, and going to sell them. Uh, but he, uh, he kind of helped neighbors get in the business because he if they had land, he would build ponds on their land, stock it with fish and buy them back. Um, so that's kind of how Lonoke County became the, the freshwater fin fish capital of, of the nation. Um, Loanoke County's number one in bait fish number one in goldfish, or number one in uh, largemouth bass production, hybrid striped bass production. Um, so it's, you know, that's kind of how it all started. We had uh, Joe Hogan State Fish Hatchery was right there in Lone Oak, and it was built in the 40s also. Uh, so it just kind of became the center for, for freshwater uh, aquaculture there. So
0: how many... Businesses are down there in Lone Oak that are in the aquaculture.
3: Currently, I'm going to say uh, Lone Oak County probably has a dozen um, really? that range anywhere from bait fish to goldfish to game fish, um, and then tilapia. Outside. Is it raised there? No, we don't raise any tilapia in Arkansas. It's uh, temperature-wise, tilapia don't do real well in Arkansas. Our winters are too cold. Do you cold. eat tilapia? I have. Uh, it's What's not your one favorite of my, fish to eat? Oh gosh, certainly crappie. Catfish is a close <laughs> second, but then. I differentiate between freshwater and saltwater. I love saltwater fish also, but uh, but no, crappie and catfish for What's sure. What's the
0: difference between wild salmon and farm salmon? Because farm salmon's got some bad wraps.
3: Well, the people who want to shut it down deliver the bad rap, you know, media-wise. But farm-raised salmon is just as safe, 100%, as a wild-caught There's salmon. There's something
0: about the omegas, though. The good omega that's in the wild caught is not in the...
3: Well, it depends on who you ask. A lot of the farm-raised salmon is raised in net pens in bays and estuaries, and environmentalists want to shut that down, so the only way to do that is to kill the market for it. Why?
0: Why do they want to shut that down? They don't like it. Why? A
3: very small percentage of the farm-raised salmon comes from the United States. Uh, But the thing is, regulation-wise, it's easier to raise it off the coast in bays and estuaries in another country than it is in the United States because you don't have rules and regulations fighting against you constantly.
0: So it seems like people would like farm-raised.
3: Well, I want to know what I'm eating. I want to know that it's safe. And if it's grown here, it's much safer than coming from a foreign country, Vietnam um, mm-hmm. or Chile or a lot of the countries that raise our seafood.
0: Let's go back to your
3: great great grandfather yes. or your great grandfather
0: who bought the land across the street from Biomato. Did his friend now get mad at him for going into competition?
3: Oh no, they actually weren't really competition at the time. One was raising goldfish and one was raising golden shiners, um, so really it wasn't a competition issue. And and the market was growing fast enough mm-hmm. that no, we couldn't grow enough anyway. Hmm. Um, and
0: and you know your loan is a perfect example of how like businesses that group together do right. better it's like restaurant row does better right. if it's together it's like retail stores do better if they're together
3: well and as a small industry we depend on each other's cooperation
0: you probably um, call your neighbor and say hey i'm out of feed can i borrow some of yours
3: oh sure i mean <laughs> you know we do that all the time we're a small industry we all know each other a lot of us family um so we really depend on each other a lot of the state and national issues we deal with we we have to band together and deal with them. Oh, I bet. Um, you know, because it's all about numbers when it gets to the federal level.
0: So I'm imagining your grandfather buys this land, which sounds so exciting, and then he and then he cuts down the timber because you said it was timber, right? And he sells that timber, right. and where he cut it down, he. Digs a hole and then right. he starts fishing in his boat every day
3: and throwing <laughs> well, fish in that in water flatland, hole. In flat land, you don't build a hole; you build levees to contain the water. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> so, but we're you just start with the low spots, right? I would we're think. on the edge of the delta, so it's flat, uh, but that works well for us. Um, but yes, he starts building ponds, and over time, the ponds have gone from large eighty acre ponds down to anywhere from a half acre to ten acres, just because they're easier to manage. So today, we've got three hundred thirty four ponds um, over. You know, thirty three hundred acres.
0: Y'all got mosquitoes.
3: Uh, lots of mosquitoes.
2: Oh. <laughs> do you ever go there, Elizabeth? I do often. Oh, I was going to say we live
3: on go. the farm, so yeah. it's, you live on the farm. We
2: do, we do. But you know, uh, mosquitoes are part of the life, and you learn to to deal with them. We spray for them. We wear bug spray. It's and,
1: Arkansas. They're yeah. everywhere. It's Arkansas. Yeah. No,
2: you no, no. It's not those mosquitoes. She <laughs> makes the
1: population. She makes it
2: <laughs> You don't go out at night. I do, because I sit at the ballpark with my kids, and um, my kids are, we just, Man. I mean, if you sit, it's, it's, it's the do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we if still. we're out at night in July or June or even August, we're pants and long sleeves because you know you're going to get eaten otherwise, so. And they love the light. I mean, if you get in your yeah. car, you open the car door
0: and get in, you might as well just forget it. There, there's more There's more mosquitoes in the car than right. humans, I mean. Mas- ha-
1: may I ask a farming question? Absolutely. Uh-huh. So your grandfather this I don't I, the word that you're using a biomita?
3: Yes, biomita is one of the drainage systems here in Arkansas. Uh-huh.
1: Um, okay, so he's fishing he was getting fish out of a drainage system. Correct. So correct. he just fished some wild fish out of a drainage system mm-hmm. and put them in a pond right. and started selecting. Right, started spawning. It's so, crazy. Yeah. Yep. Just
2: just out of a stream. Well, and just, you just, you know, just like
3: that salmon farm. Their, I know. Their yeah, salmon right. came from the wild. And, and now they and, ship them yeah, in yeah. a FedEx
2: box overnight. Yeah,
3: right. Well, that's how, <laughs>
1: yeah. That's just so, nuts to me.
3: But yeah, I mean, every animal came from the wild at some well, point. Well, sure, yeah. But, but
1: I just think even,
3: so if theoretically our brood stock still has the same genetics as you whatever know, he fished out of that years ago, drain. Oh, that's so cool, though. But, I, I think I that's I mean, fascinating. don't they,
0: does, is interbreeding doesn't weaken them?
3: No, Mother Nature takes care of that. When you've got something on the bottom of the food chain that deals with thousands of offspring or tens of thousands of offspring, they're genetically diverse enough that the Adding likelihood a of mother of and son a while, right? breeding is not very good. But if they do, it's still going to be a viable offspring. Um, just like you know, cattle, cattle are bred back. Dogs are bred back. Is uh, cattle far- horses is, are bred back?
0: Is farming is cattle considered farming? Yes. Um, yes. So that's why fish is considered farming.
3: Right. Agriculture and aquaculture are one and the same. Agriculture, you're going to grow something in soil. Aquaculture, you're growing it in water.
0: What's your biggest fish that you sell the most of? What's your biggest product? The golden
3: shiner is our the. What's the a bulk golden of our shiner? Body. The golden shiner is one of the native bait fish um around the big part of the country. Of course, there's golden shiners, silver shiners, and multiple versions, just like a lab and a poodle and a. cockatoo or whatever (laughs) that may be a bird um but uh but yes the golden shiner is native to arkansas uh, and it's native to most of the states in the country so so therefore it's legal to ship across the country so because it's native and because it's easy to grow and it likes the climate then that's definitely the bulk of our sales Um, i so if you go into the average bait shop anywhere in the u.s nine out of ten of them are going to be carrying golden shiners or a, what's
0: the difference between a goldfish and a koi?
3: Goldfish and koi they're just a close cousin. They're both in the carp family. They're just like I say, the difference between a standard poodle and a miniature poodle, or a, mm-hmm. you know, just
0: You sell on your website Golden Shiners, which you said are your best sellers. Yes. Fatheads.
3: Fatheads, which is those? it's a it's a northern fish that was brought down to the south decades ago um, by not only the the pond stocking industry but also the bait industry um so we started growing it back in i'm going to say the probably the 60s um but it, it's it was more northern like the great lake states all that's where the bulk of the fatheads originated now they're all over the country
0: and they're just little bitty fish, just small just fish yes bitty minnow like right
3: so they're in lakes and rivers and streams as as far well, fish. well
0: the prettiest one on your website is the pink minnow
3: yes it is basically an albino <laughs> fathead. So they are selected, the light color is selected in the broodstock. Uh, so every spring when we get our broodstock ready for the pink minnow, we, if there's any that have reverted back, uh, that recessive gene has gone back to black. We pick that out so that the odds are going to be that they're all going to be pink.
0: What's a sardine?
3: Sardine is just uh, a saltwater fish that kind of like a anchovy or a menhaden uh-huh. or... They all uh, look, they look like minnows to me. Right. That shows
0: how much I know about it.
3: <laughs> it's an ocean fish that is like a, like a minnow. It's on the bottom of the food chain.
0: But you did invent your own breed.
3: Didn't invent the own breed. We we selectively bred for traits uh, to create the black salty, which is, to my knowledge, still the only patented trademark bait fish in, in the world, to my knowledge. Saltwater? Yes. What we did was we bred it to withstand saltwater um, uh, long enough to be used for bait. So it lives and breeds in freshwater on the farm, uh, but it can be sold as a saltwater bait. uh, But it will not live in full-strength saltwater and be viable. Is there any
0: other fish like that?
3: Not that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware of. Clever. You know, the, the hard part about the bait industry, especially when it comes to marketing and branding, is all of our products look the same. You go to any bait shop in the country, you can't tell if that's my minnow or my neighbor's minnow. Well, with the black salty, for the first time in history, we were able to differentiate between our customer and somebody else's. So we could actually say, hey, if you want the black salty, um, we want you as a customer, you can use that to promote Anderson Minnow Farms and Anderson Minnow Farms fish. Uh, Otherwise, you can't tell the difference between my minnow and somebody else's.
0: Why does somebody in Arkansas want a black salty?
3: Uh, actually, we're selling more in freshwater now we are in, are in saltwater. because saltwater wow. fishermen were bringing it back and striper fishing with it, largemouth bass fishing, fishing with it. It's just an extremely tough fish uh, that can do anything. Uh, it lives very, very well, very hardy. So, you know, once they started doing that, we're selling more for catfishing and striper fishing than we are in saltwater now. So
0: does different fish like different, I know that at least this much about fishing. Different fish like to eat different fish.
3: Not necessarily. Big um, eats little. You know, that's a, ba- it. a bass eats a small bass. A crappie eats a small crappie, but it will also eat a shiner, a goldfish, a fathead. So fat why do you head. need all
0: these different kinds?
3: Uh, a lot of it is uh, fisherman preference.
0: And if, um, but a if it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Well,
3: a lot of it's also there are certain states that we cannot sell a shiner in. Certain states we may not can sell a fathead in. Why? So, because their game of fish or DNR has determined it to be a non-native fish or something like that like you get out in the western states take Colorado you can sell a shiner on the eastern slope a fathead on the western slope and maybe one or the other above a certain altitude and a you know so it's they're just extremely specific So you have to really know the rules and regs, not only if you're selling into the state, but also if you're buying and bringing into the state.
0: Are you held responsible if somebody buys and ships and you ship there? Are you held responsible or is the buyer held
3: responsible? In some circumstances, both of us. Um, So it just kind of depends on the state and the circumstance. Mm -hmm. But we, you know, I've got a, a team there in the office that are very diligent on knowing, okay, where is this fish going, knowing the address it's being delivered to. Going as far as to ask, okay, you're in a state that has some really odd laws. Uh, where are you going to be using this fish? Um, and, you know, all you can do is assume they're telling the truth.
0: How many fish do you ship a day?
3: It all depends on the season. I mean, it may be a, a really big day in the spring. We may sell between 15,000, 20,000 pounds of fish. Um, How
0: many people does it take to load that stuff up? You uh, have to use big equipment
3: you do it's easier to use big equipment versus by hand if you're going to do it in bulk but you know we've got a staff of of 50 people in the spring
0: they all probably all have to ship overnight right
3: no no we do still sell wholesale by truck so we may load an 18-wheeler today that's going to the east coast and going to drop off at one or more customers
0: how many days will they stay alive
3: Uh, they'll stay alive as long as you take care of the water quality they're they're going to stay alive indefinitely in that truck but the quicker you get them off, the better, because they will foul the water. So you have to do a oh. water change. If they're going to be on there more than about 48 hours, you want to change the water. But anywhere in the country that we're going to truck to, they're off in 48 hours. Who trucks
0: hours. them? Does your people We have a
3: contractor them? that does the trucking.
0: He knows how to change the water. Oh, yes. Wow, there's he, so much to yeah. this. Could anybody get in this business today if they wanted to?
3: Anybody can. There, there's one check away is what I tell them. You, you cut us one check and you're in it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: but... Uh, it, um, to answer your question, though, anybody can get in it. It's just just like any type of agriculture. The upfront cost is enormous. Uh, mm-hmm. The cost of land, the cost of equipment, trucks, tractors. Um, you know, just simply building ponds, the cost is enormous. So, buying an existing operation is certainly the better thing to do. Um, but uh,
0: so everybody, all these big conglomerates are buying up. In not just your industry but in every industry. Bill Gates has right. bought four, how many let me see 40 oh, 48,000 acres in
3: I think he's over 2 million acres just uh himself alone. I don't think that's all Arkansas, but
0: No, that's Ar- he has 40 Oh yeah. Not yeah, that's not all in Arkansas, uh, but in Arkansas he has almost 50,000 acres in Arkansas. And
3: as a consumer that that should worry you.
0: That's what I was going to ask as you. Consumer, does that y'all live in that area? Does that bother you?
3: It does. I don't want one person having a say-so in what I live on, whether it be food or fuel or anything else.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, Uh, God's God's not making any more land. Mm
3: -mm. You know, but so it does worry me, but there's not much I can do about it. Um, You know, unless a state um, or the feds maybe came up with a rule. I know that uh, on the federal level, they um, have capped what China can buy, you know, in terms of land land or yeah they could own the country. Or businesses you know they don't want uh another company having a monopoly mm-hmm. no,
0: we, they don't seem to care about that on certain
3: things though they do not it all depends on who's in power and who's because
0: i feel like our whole that's a
3: hole we could dive into yeah no right mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know i feel but, like uh amazon is running a lot of mom and pops out right. of business you know and and um well you know like it's, like i'm saying so what about your industry are people gonna come in there and buy you up and we're gonna have two fish Fish factories eventually that's, one day?
3: That's always a possibility, but I, I don't see that in the near future at all. Um, now, food fish would be probably something that somebody would gear towards in terms of buying or owning a majority of it so you can uh, control price. Um, you know, the world is going to run out of food eventually.
2: Uh, it is. And that's
3: why Bill Gates is doing what he's doing. Yeah, he likes uh, he likes So he can control production. price. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, aquaculture provides a very, very healthy source of protein. In other countries of the world, uh, fish is a major source. You don't mm-hmm. see cattle ranches in impoverished countries. You see they're fishing off the coast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, So the United States needs to wake up and understand 95% of what they're eating in terms of seafood is imported, and that's scary. If we could simply allow, through laxed regulations, more operations to produce our seafood here, whether it be a fin fish or whether it be shrimp or, you know, it certainly makes sense uh, for our country. Are
0: there strict regulations to make fish Absolutely. Really? Why would that be?
3: To to give you just a little bit of perspective, we are a simple bait fish operation in Lone Oak, Arkansas. We ship to over 44, 45 states. We are regulated because of the state and fed agencies in each one of those. We are regulated by over 60 state and federal agencies that we have to adhere to their policies, their paperwork, uh, their ever-changing rules and laws. We have to keep up with that. Do
0: you have a lawyer Uh, on staff?
3: No, but uh, we do. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, so that's just a simple bait fish operation. If I was trying to raise salmon off the coast of Washington um, in in a bay, then you're talking about millions of upfront costs just to get the paperwork and the permits. Uh, before you ever even put a fish in the water. Um, and that doesn't happen in other countries.
0: I don't understand why it would be that way. It's not like the airline business trying to keep other airline companies it's out of a the a lot industry. of its
3: local governments in the state waters, and then its federal government in the federal uh, federal waters.
0: But they, it seems like they would want to grow the business. So.
3: You would think so. But they would rather our salmon be imported from China, or from uh, Chile, excuse me, um, for whatever reason. I sit on the board of the National Aquaculture Association, and we are represented. We represent all of aquaculture, like I say, everything you can imagine that lives in water. Uh, so we have board members from the salmon industry, from the trout industry, oysters, shrimp, lobster. So we have all those represented on our board. And um, I think I have it hard until I hear what they deal with. Mm.
0: Do you worry about? Uh, I sometimes watch documentaries about uh, overfishing for salmon and. Do you worry about overfishing our oceans?
3: We're not going to overfish ours because they have such strict limits on it. Uh, and that's why farm-raised salmon makes sense. But other countries across the world, you know, salmon don't just live on one coast. They swim across the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, other countries in the world have zero limits.
0: Um, how You started a hatchery, you said, in 1999. Yes. What events led up to you deciding to do that?
3: Well, Dad kind of made the decision simply because we were – we were needing to grow, which means more brood stock, more fry to spread to grow out.
0: What is fry? I keep reading that all over your website. Fry, fry. <laughs>
3: fry, fry is just a baby fish. Okay. Um, so, yes, we, we needed more brood stock, more eggs, more fry, which meant more land, more labor, and that was just really not affordable. Um, the hatcheries have been used for years with other species of fish. Um, it had just never been done on a large scale for shiners or for bait fish, uh-huh. uh, but it had been done at university. So they knew it could work, but the university system versus a farm system is much different. So, and the scale we needed was, was going to be pretty uh, large. So anyway, we built the building, plumbed it, all that. That was my first uh, three to four months of How back on you? the farm. I was 22.
0: Oh, that is too so. young to give you that much responsibility. <laughs> Just saying. Okay, go ahead.
3: So anyway. That was
0: before you knew him, right, Elizabeth? Yes. So, okay, well, his so we start- dad got him in training. For oh, me. yeah. All oh, right, yeah. go ahead.
3: So we um, started that, and of course, it was rough in the beginning. Just getting the numbers, you know, the sheer volume you need was really hard, but it took two to three years to really get it nailed down. And, you know, once it was nailed down, now we're doing... Um, You know, 1.3 billion average on the shiners is how many head we produce. We're producing, you know, roughly 100 million goldfish, roughly, uh, um, you know, 75 million black salty. The the fat heads around uh, 300 million. A year? A year. Actually, in about four weeks.
0: Because there's a season.
3: There's a season. You want to... You want to correlate the hatchery with the normal spawning season, so that it the fish are ready. It's easier. You don't have to uh, change photo period, you Don't have to. Change are they staggered?
0: Are the seasons staggered for each fisher? Is no. it all like comes out in spring?
3: Springtime is is the time. Oh. So so it it's uh it's chaotic. I You're mean, like a CPA in April. You eat, sleep, and breathe it for a few weeks, and then if everything goes well, you then you just got to keep them alive for the next twelve months. That's well, what,
0: oh oh, you do keep them alive right. for twelve months.
3: That's that's the hmm. production part of it that everybody doesn't understand, even some of our customers, is that fish is born, all those fish are born the same time. And then you've got to have not only the size of fish today available, but also 12 months from now of of the fish that was born the same day.
0: Why can't you stagger those? You could and just be,
3: it it wouldn't be efficient. Uh, you would have to get the water temperatures right. You'd have to change mm-hmm. the photo period. You would have to mm-hmm. keep your hatchery running all year. So it's mm-hmm. easier just to get it. And then by uh, density and feeding, you keep fish small or, keep, or make fish grow. Five million, million pounds of
0: feed per year.
3: Um, Where so do you store five million pounds. Well, the, of the feed, feed. mills are constantly making it. So they deliver weekly. What uh, do you so, feed? What is um, it? The feed, it's, it's similar to a dog food dog food it is a pelletized food that's formulated for those fish
0: just like i throw in the fish bowl
3: no it's the fish bowl (laughs) feed the flakes they're they'll keep that goldfish alive but he's not going to grow oh
0: Um, it's protein based or something
3: right so the the protein the fat the lipids all that the formulation of this feed is specific for those fish Um, so it'll be different for crappie or bass or catfish but for these bait fish it's specific uh, to maximize uh, their growth potential.
0: We're going to talk now and end, up the sh- end the show on how these two people are paying forward their knowledge and their experience and their prosperity. Uh, your family was named Farm Family of the Year in 2019. Talk about that experience.
3: It's great to be recognized, no doubt, but my line that I've, I've said over and over is, you try to stay humble and you don't do it to be recognized. You do, we do what we do because we love it, especially farming. You know, it's not easy, but there's a thousand farms out there that deserve the exact same recognition. Um, You know, we're no different. Um, But, you know, Elizabeth and I, we, we just do our best. We come from amazing families. Um, We were certainly given an advantage, so we don't want to take that for granted. Uh, We want to stay humble. We want to not only give back ourselves in the same capacity, if not hopefully more than our the generations before us, but also teach our children why we do what we do. You know, they they often question why are we going to a meeting at night or why are we doing this or that and and it's the same the same answer we've got to give back.
0: You're setting examples. Yes. You know. Uh, Lone Oak Agricultural Business Academy. Elizabeth, why was that important for you?
2: Well, um we Jamie and I chaired a millage campaign right before COVID hit and uh, passed a millage tax to raise $12 million to build a facility, which is a partnership with ASUBB and Baptist Health. And it was important to do it because I sit on the school board in Lone Oak. And my main purpose in being part of the school board is because I think public education can be so much better. And Lone Oak has a fantastic public school. And it's important to me to see it succeed. And by providing opportunities for our students that they wouldn't necessarily have in other school districts, it gives Lone Oak Schools a heads up. So by developing this agricultural-based academy, which um, teaches um, diesel mechanics, agricultural classes, aquacultural classes, industrial technology those type classes where these kids can get their hands on and learn about agriculture before they actually enter the workforce. We also are teaching about rural health care, which is so important for Arkansas. There's so many communities around Arkansas that are losing their health care workers, are losing doctors, and that's how they sustain their communities. If you don't have a doctor or even a nurse practitioner to see within your community, then you can't live there. Why are there. they losing them? just the draw to live in those, those types of communities. And, um, you know, a doctor who seeks patients in rural Arkansas does everything. They do everything because there are no local hospitals, you know, they, they become, you know, the, the urgent care in that community. And so, um, you know, and a lot of these nurses are, are going to where the money is. And, um, that really
0: bothers me doctoring is so much about the money so much about specializing and the money and burning and churning through as many people as you can i mean what did happen to the family practitioner Um,
2: you know i'm not really sure if it just became um overwhelming or um jamie's uncle um dr les anderson is our doctor in lone oak and he's been there for over 50 years
3: he's in his late 70s and and he he could retire if he wanted to but he just it's in his heart that he wants to keep going and and not only still treating people, but he's but he's volunteering to, uh, to work at our health facility there at the academy and training the next generation of doctors and nurses. Uh,
0: Teachers and nurses are <laughs> angels to me. Yeah. They are. Yeah. So um,
2: why is farming important? And why is teaching this trade school important? Well, it's important because agriculture is what sustains Lone Oak. It is the economy of Lone Oak. And so... The only way to sustain our education program is to teach these kids that college is not necessarily the path for everyone. In Lone Oak, only about 30% of their kids attend college, and out of that 30%, only half of them actually complete it. So why not gear these kids a direction in the beginning, in the ninth and 10th grade, on, hey, you know, there's opportunities out there. You can go and learn about aquaculture and go work on the farm and make a great living Mm -hmm. without coming out of college with all this debt and no degree. Mm -hmm. And so um, you're preaching to the choir. I know. Amen. (laughs) There are so (laughs) many kids out there that are. Are you
0: still playing on your. Are you still playing? paying on your... Oh,
1: sure, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. see. But there's I'm so 34, many... 34, ki- of course I am. <laughs> there's
2: so many kids out there that are told college, 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 and you've got to get there, and that's the way to be successful. But mm-hmm. there are so many, so many career paths that you can be successful without a college degree, if that's from plumbing to... Farming to diesel mechanic. I mean, a diesel mechanic can those make six got, figures. Those guys have got to
0: learn uh, computers to yes. be a diesel mechanic. I mean, to be a mechanic today, you need to you need to have almost an IT degree that you can get at a um, VOTech vo- school.
2: Absolutely. And I went
0: to a VOTech school, and it was priceless
3: for well, me. Governor uh, Governor Hutchinson was touring our academy when we opened the doors, <laughs> and he made the comment. We showed him the nursing and healthcare. We showed him the welding. We showed him the office management the diesel mechanics, he said, I thought you, I thought this was ag based. I said, well, my company can't get by without any of this. I've got welders, I've got mechanics, I've got office staff. You know, I, we obviously have all have to go to the doctor. Um, I said, so this is a part of agriculture. The trucks and tractors get it out of the field into the granary, you know, so ag and ag business needs all of that it's not just about putting the seed in the ground or the fish in the pond uh, it's got to have the whole support system and never that, thought about that and that's part of why this academy is what it is um you know we rule towns we lose our workforce almost yep. immediately and in the ones that do stay half of them live on government assistance the rest of their I life know. and you know like yesterday we had a job for them at our high school Um uh, I'm the chairman of our business education cooperative.
2: Mm -hmm. And
3: so we arranged a job for them. Uh, So we had everybody from Caterpillar to Benny Keith to my farm to uh, city uh, public works had everybody there to show these kids, Hey, these are well-paying jobs right down the street. Uh, If you're not going to college, don't worry about it. Come straight to us. Mm -hmm. And for the ninth and 10th graders go to that business academy and learn some of these trades that I need along with everybody else in town and go make, you know, very, very good money right at 18. Don't wait till you're 21 or 22 with college debt and a degree that nobody cares about.
0: Do you think they should teach finance in high school? Absolutely. <laughs>
3: A loaded question. Say it again. Yeah. <laughs> well, My biggest problem with employees is they run out of money before Friday comes mm-hmm. and they say they have a money problem. Well, no, they have a budget problem. Mm-hmm. They don't understand what percentage of their budget's going to beer.
2: cigarettes,
3: beer, lottery tickets, all that. <laughs> they don't, they don't realize it's half or more of their budgets going to that. Uh-huh. And, and so they don't see it, but they've never been taught to do a budget. And I think our school system is really failing them.
0: Thank y'all so much for everything you do, volunteering at the ballpark, building schools, having job fairs, teaching people how to open up checking accounts. Y'all are great. I just want to give you your gift for both of y'all.
3: It's a Wonderful. desk set
0: for both of your Aww, offices. Thank yes, you.
3: Much needed. Thank yes, you very much.
0: Thank you. It's uh, for the <laughs> listeners. It's a U.S. and Arkansas flag to set on their desk. You need one at the bank. You probably have a big one on the floor, but you need one behind your desk. I too. need one in yes, the farm. Thank no you. Thank, you. Thank, thank y'all very much for joining me. Well, I thank love you, you for, having, for us. having us. You're very welcome. In closing to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us. We hope you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that whatever it is will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up.
1: You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio show, and choose today's guest. If you'd like to sponsor this show or any show, email me, Gray. That's G-R-A-Y at flagandbanner.com. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Stay informed of exciting upcoming guests by subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcast wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream.